You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes, and I'm very glad you're with us today. You know, I've been doing afterlife-related research for almost 50 years. And in the beginning, I was so naive. I mean, scientists wouldn't lie to us, would they? I, I even thought at first there had to be some truth in what Christianity was teaching us about the afterlife and other things, or they wouldn't be teaching it, right? Boy, was I wrong on both counts. To this day, our two most trusted institutions, both mainstream science and mainstream Christianity, are flat out lying to us about what happens at and after death. And they're entirely stonewalling the by now abundant evidence about the true nature of reality. And they're doing that to such an extent that you wonder what, what they could possibly be thinking. We ought to forgive Christianity because, after all, it's just a belief system. It doesn't claim to be anything else. But for the past 50 years, I have watched the entire traditional scientific community ignore altogether a vast array of solid evidence and important information to the point where even basic and very important research is altogether sidetracked now into nonsense as they avoid looking at the truth or else it's stalled altogether. Scientists still looking for a source of consciousness in the brain, believe it or not. And that's the equivalent of taking an old tube radio apart to try to find the source of Frank Sinatra's voice. Same thing. And they cannot get past the notion that life must have arisen spontaneously when lightning hit some perfect brew of chemicals in a primordial soup. Both of those, of course, are nonsense ideas. As we know, and we've talked about this, we just talked about it again a few weeks ago a couple of times, and we talked about Craig Hogan's brand new book, Consciousness is Primary. Consciousness is really all that exists. So I've been hoping for a guest who could explain to us why science is behaving this way, and our guest today is just the man. He has spent decades studying some of the remarkably nutty depths that mainstream science has been plumbing in an effort to avoid looking at the truth. Craig Weiler is a parapsychology journalist. He's a speaker and host of a popular blog on the science of parapsychology and on its skeptics. He graduated from UC Berkeley, and in his daytime life, he runs a small, successful construction business. Craig began his spiritual path during the New Age movement, and he was teaching and practicing psychic healing. He doesn't follow any particular group of teachings, but rather he explores a very westernized mixture of science and spirituality. And like so many of us, he sees the ongoing stonewalling of the truth by mainstream science as a terrible and tragic problem for all of humanity. Craig's terrific book from England's White Crow Books, we love White Crow, is called Psy Wars. TED, Wikipedia, and the Battle for the Internet. It was first published in 2013, and it's just out now in a new edition, just at a perfect time. Craig, welcome. I'm so glad to have you with us today. Roberta, it is great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on Seeking Reality. 
Well, we're both doing that, aren't we? We're trying to understand what's really going on. And, and sadly, tragically, it's left to complete non-scientists to try to do what scientists should long since have been doing. Um, who was it? Um, um, I think it was uh, Nikola Tesla who said that when science starts investigating non-material reality, it will make more progress in five years than it's made in the whole previous century. I think that's probably an understatement. But, you know, meanwhile, it's just up to you and me. So how did you get into this? Let's talk a little bit about your background so everyone knows who they're they're hearing from. Well, I got into this, like many people, just out of curiosity, um, following, you know, my interest in the New Age movement. Um, somewhere around 2008, when I had, you know, when the Internet was actually starting to get usable, uh, I started looking into parapsychology and uh, the science got me hooked they didn't make a lot of grandiose statements the way you find in the new age movement. So that was really m far more fascinating to me. You don't, you don't find out as much information in science, but you, the information you do have has been carefully researched and it's, it's far more likely to be valid. And I just, I love that part of it. And so what, course, tell us what's can you define parapsychology for people who are wondering what it even means? Of course, parapsychology is the science of psychic ability. And we, when we say science, that's a very specific term. It means that you have people with PhDs. Uh, they usually operate with, within institutions and they have organizations that, uh, that specifically focus on science. So they'll have journals that they publish in and the journals are peer reviewed and evidence is accumulated over time and shared with everybody. Uh, in, in that sense, it's, it's much different from something like the New Age movement in that it's actual science. That's parapsychology. Okay. And so psi then is, is the, what they're studying, right? It's um, what is psi, PSI, the word psi, what, what would that be? Psi is shorthand for psi, psychic. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, then, so this is very straightforward. This is about basically consciousness and how we use it in our practical lives or, or uh, how we can use it to enhance our lives, something like that. Yeah. In, in the case of, of parapsychology, they're trying to get at the root of what psychic ability is. It's something that's very difficult. It appears to originate from the subconscious. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's not easy to study. No, that's true. That's true. So you became very interested in this, and you seem to be something of an expert in the area. Um, how did you study it? Did you read books? Did you uh, do experiments yourself? How did you study it at first? I did not do experiments. Uh, I started off with uh, a couple of books, notably uh, Conscious Universe by Dean Radin, which is a must-read for anybody yes. in, in parapsychology. Absolutely. And, yeah. And I read a couple of others, and then I started uh, diving in deeper, looking mm -hmm. at various uh, papers and articles that parapsychologists had written that, that do a far more of a deep dive into the subject. And also, uh, of course, every time you do this, you run into the skeptical side of it. Uh, and, you know, it can be it can be really interesting when you have them discuss when you have skeptics discuss what they're uh, what they're objecting to, because the skeptics are always objecting to something. 
and then seeing the scientists respond to those objections. And it gives you a better view of what the science is. The, the thing is, they aren't really skeptical. They're debunkers, really. When you, when you, because you take us really, I thought it's like a detective story almost. You take us through some of the things that these people believe and the things they do. And all they're out to do is to try to make people disbelieve the actual science that's being developed. They don't seem to be skeptical. They just seem to be debunkers. Is that, am I, is that right? Am I being too hard on them? No, not at all. I think debunker is a, is a much better explanation. Uh, if you look at, if you take the big picture of, of psychic ability, what we have is that roughly half the world has some sort of a psychic experience. Uh, stories of psychics can be found in every culture, as far back in history as you care to go. And there are working psychics all over the world. Scientific literature dates back almost 150 years for investigative reports, over 60 years wow. for experiments. Wow, wow, that's great. Yeah, and it goes on. We have replicated studies on being stared at, replicated studies on psychokinesis, on mediumship, replicated studies on precognition, replicated Reiki studies, the remote viewing program by the U.S. government, and, and other stuff. And if you, take a, if you take a look at all of this stuff that's been done, what you discover is that parapsychologists have tested for something that, based on real-world observations, yes. you find. It's, it's real. Definitely it's real. Everyone, if you haven't done it, please read Your Eternal Self by Craig Hogan and his new wonderful book because um, that there he will very concisely give you a lot of this evidence uh, in, a, in a very enjoyable and readable form. But also I think people should read this book. As I say, it's sort of like reading a, a, a mystery story in which there are villains and there are heroes. T tell us about... The, 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 because many of us think TED Talks are wonderful. I mean, I get sent them all the time, uh, TED Talks on this and that. And um, there was a controversy, though, a few years back that we have talked about here. Rupert Sheldrake and someone else I hadn't heard of um, uh, ran afoul of uh, the TED system, TEDx system, just by telling the basic truth. Talk about that and how you got involved in that. Well, I, I, I was blogging at the time, and I happened to get in on that controversy as it was starting. And one of the things I did was notify, other, notify the researchers and other people in the community and draw some more interest in it. And then the thing just snowballed. Uh, it went from a few people having a discussion to this massive controversy. Uh, so the... The, the two people involved were Rupert Sheldrake, who's known for his uh, animal telepathy experiments, among other yes. things, yes. and Graham Hancock. He's an archaeologist who has, uh, pr who has provided evidence that civilization is far, far older than we actually think it is. Uh, and he's regarded as a pseudo-archaeologist, of course. Oh, gee, of course. Yes. Right. So the, Wait, the, everyone, just be, between you and me, the, the, I think it was 2012 that started, right? And, and um, I, if you go to robertagrimes.com and just search for Sheldrake, S-H-E-L-D-R-A-K-E, you can find the TED Talk that caused this problem because I blogged about it much closer to when this problem actually occurred. Okay, go ahead, Craig. Tell us about it. Okay. So it was in 2013. 
Um, 13, okay. Yeah. The TEDx affiliate was TEDx Whitechapel. And the thing about TED was that it had been bought by a fellow called Chris Anderson, and he was uh, a bit of a skeptic himself. And one of the things they did was their science advice was coming from people who were very invested in parapsychology skepticism. These are people like Jerry Coyne and PZ Myers. Uh, they're both professors. And uh, also they were listening to skeptical Reddit threads. And Ted buys this line, hook, line, and sinker. So they're, uh -huh. they're, totally, they're totally on the side of this sort of skepticism. And so they're listening to these people and making decisions based upon what they think is good scientific advice. Uh, and when you when you put that up against what the what the evidence actually is, of course, that they were getting advised very, very badly. So they took down the TED Talks and opened up discussions. Uh, I think they need to be commended for that part of it. Rather than just shutting things off, they opened up discussions to to uh, theoretically find more find more out about the subject. Now, I thought at the time, hey, this is a great way for everybody to tell their side of the story. Right, right. And um, what it turned out was uh, they kept trying to find a reason to take the talks down and and they kept letting things go on longer and longer and longer. They they put out a list of they 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 put together a science board. They wouldn't tell anybody who was on it. And this science that's the problem. People that you you couldn't even know who these people were, what their credentials were, or anything. That's terrible. No, but don't worry. They assured us they were all very reputable. <laughs> yeah, right. This science board puts together a list of complaints against both videos. Sheldrake and Hancock take one look at that, put down something probably for 30 seconds, and completely shoot the whole thing down. I mean, it was really that easy. They, uh, the complaints were that bad. So Ted crosses out the complaints, but still take, leaves the videos down and continues the discussion. Uh, and a lot of intellectual people were starting to get involved. You know, this is uh, Nobel Prize winner Brian Josephson. Uh, of course, everybody knows who Deepak Chopra is. Uh, Charles Eisenstein, uh, all these people were in defense of Sheldrake and the, uh, you know, the basic viewpoint of of consciousness may be more than just uh, an epiphenomena from um, from the brain. So this thing kept going on longer and longer and longer. And then eventually it came to a point where they uh, took one of the uh, TEDx programs, TEDx Hollywood, and shut that down based upon the fact that it was all pseudoscience. Oh, gee. Yeah, and this was um, this was being put on by um, Suzanne Taylor. Uh, she is known for having produced two documentaries on crop circles, and she had uh, a couple of two or three uh, parapsychologists on there, and also some other people, and she was working very hard to create a very scientifically based program and Ted was having none of it, you know, cause, Oh my God, they're all pseudoscientists. Yeah, skeptics love that word. Well, and, what did they mean by that? What does that word mean to them? Pseudoscientists. Uh, you know, it doesn't really have a, go ahead. To be 
be they're pretending we're we're pretending to be scientists. Is that what they're saying? They aren't really scientists because they're not investigating approved things. Uh, I would imagine that in their minds, when they say pseudoscientist, there's somebody they they imagine somebody who is doing science that is so terrible that it can't possibly be taken seriously. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> sure. This is terrible. This uh, is really awful. The, the TED organization calls these marks of bad science. Who are they to say? But this is what they say. It failed to convince many mainstream scientists of its truth. This is the equivalent of saying some religion is wrong because the Catholics don't agree with it. The same exact thing. The beliefs of mainstream scientists will not admit of whatever this new idea is. It's not based on experiments. It can be reproduced by others. A lot of, in fact, most most theoretically replicable and, and published um, experimental evidence cannot be replicated anymore. It's this is it's just it's not done anyway. Um, contains experimental flaws or is based on data that does not convincingly corroborate the experimenter's theoretical claims. That must mean it's no good. Comes from overconfident fringe experts. Who's to say they're fringe? Uses and since it's new, the people who are going to make it the, the 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 science of the future have not been recognized yet. These are not fringe people. I mean, we. We have we have wonderful friends who have been on this program who are going to be the scientists of the future who are really good scientists and they would be called you know fringy people or topics healing of any kind that's not you know uh, Western medicine um, and and free energy and perpetual motion machines alchemy and time travel would you like to know more about that stuff if it exists neuroscience of anything. Not, and they're, they're not saying that they'll never allow these, but they won't for most of the time. And finally, the fusion of science and spirituality. Be especially careful of anyone trying to prove the validity of their own religious beliefs and practices by using science. I would just add, for the past hundred plus years, science has been fighting religion. That's what they believe they've been fighting. These people are atheists. That's pretty clear, right? Um, uh, th these people are, are virtually all atheists who think they're fighting God. That's what they're debunking is God. When this has nothing to do with God, this isn't about beliefs. I'm sorry. I just had to burst out and say those things. People need, you need to understand, please, this is a totally spurious, spurious thing. This has nothing to do with anything real or true. I'm sorry, Craig, go ahead. I just had to say my piece. I've been saving that since I read your book. I totally understand. And what I have to add to that is all hail the flying spaghetti monster. <laughs> Why don't we start to make, let's make that our symbol. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Lord. Well, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead now. Go ahead and tell well, us this story. So you, you're absolutely correct in that uh, the, the reason I made the flying spaghetti monster uh, reference <laughs> is because that's an atheist symbol. And really? Really? It is? Oh yeah, yeah. The, so uh, the flying spaghetti monster was in a, a fake deity in response to religious arguments to show that you could you could use a nonsensical uh, deity and come up with all the same arguments. Oh my lord! <laughs> as a as a thought experiment, it's, I wouldn't classify it as a particularly bad one, but it's kind of been adopted by skeptics as uh, I'm sorry, atheists um, yes. as their thing. So, uh -huh. yes, 
Yeah, when you think of parapsychology skepticism, you're dealing with atheist materialists. They they comprise about 25% of um, atheists, uh, and they are uh, classified as anti-theists. Yes. Uh, they're not all atheists. Uh, there are a lot of atheists that fall in different categories that have nothing to do with this. So you can't automatically associate atheism and this sort of over-the-top skepticism um, or really zealotry. Yes, zealotry is exactly what it is. But a lot of them are atheists. That seems to be what is foremost in their minds when they're trying. And what you're doing has nothing to do with any religion. This, this, what, what Rupert Sheldrake's doing, what others are doing, is pure science. I loved that talk, by the way. His TED Talk was just perfectly wonderful and perfectly legitimate. Everything he said in it was true. Oh, absolutely. You know, when you're talking about um, the, you know, the problems of looking, you know, looking at science through an entirely materialistic prism, uh, you know, you, you're going to come up with some interesting questions. And that's exactly what he did. It's like, is this valid? Is that valid? Right. Those questions, you begin to realize you're making a lot of assumptions. Yes. Yes. But the, but also what was fascinating, and I, I urge everyone, I urge you to read his book because he shows how these people who are really not skeptics, they're really trying to debunk the truth, how they do what they do. And we kind of, I kind of already knew this because I've studied so much of their work. They find some low hanging fruit, what to them looks like low hanging fruit and, and say, that's not true. And therefore the whole thing isn't true, which is nonsense. They don't address any of the actual substantive arguments in anything that they seem to be going after. It's crazy. The, the best way to um, understand this is to look at a different subject where you have exactly the same behavior. And uh -huh. the, the example that I use is uh, in 2016, um, for those people who are not Americans here, uh, a, an American football player named Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the football game in protest of police brutality in the United States. Now, that, that in itself is not really what I'm, what I'm focused on here, but what happened was you had a whole bunch of very diehard conservatives begin to spread lies about him. Huh. And these were not people that you could discuss anything with. So, you know, he was attacking the flag. He was, um, oh, what were some other things? He was a terrible player. Nobody wanted him on his team. The military was offended. The sports are not for protest. He needed to clean up his image, yada, yada, yada. Oh, yeah. And there was this constant flow of misinformation regarding that. Now, I'm not picking on, on, on conservatives in particular here. I'm just using this because it was a very well-known um, well-known incident. But the thing is, is that they got it in their heads that they had to make arguments and they were going to come up with whatever argument they needed to, to quote unquote, win. And this is, this is exactly the same tone that skeptics take. Right. They're, they're coming up with whatever argument they need to. Uh, and when I have discussions with garden variety skeptics, you know, just ordinary people on the Internet, they do that same thing. They'll make up whatever argument they need to to win. And they really don't. And they'll they'll blow off any request for facts. 
they don't they don't feel like they have to substantiate anything. They'll just keep repeating the same thing over and over and over. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it that's the behavior. It it but it's there's no substance to it, which I, it struck me that even when it got right down to having these skeptics, I call them pseudo-skeptics, debunkers, trying to make their points against Sheldrake and, and this other fellow, they still were not attacking anything substantively. I mean, I, one of the things that was shocking about, about this is that we, it turns out that we have um, – uh, you know, these co- cosmological constants, and I didn't know this, this is news to me, um, I always assumed they were constant. Well, it turns out they're always adjusting. Now, we know that if they are not within a very narrow range, the universe cannot continue. It'll fall, it'll fly apart or, or, or collapse on itself. So to know that they keep changing is kind of amazing. And it seems to me to be a big red flag to be followed. But he goes to somebody and he says to this person, how are you handling this? And the fellow said, oh, it's not a problem anymore. Oh, really? Why isn't it? Because we set them at a number and now we don't look anymore at where they are. We just use that number. And that works just fine. And then he called it, he had a name for it. He called it intellectual phase locking. Intellectual <laughs> Phase locking that stuck in my mind forevermore. We solve what to me is the most fascinating, big moment in in recent recent science. All these cosmological constants are tweaking. There some somebody's tweaking them. What does that tell us? That's huge. But no, we decided to just set them at some arbitrary number and call it intellectual phase locking. So um, I have to tell you that I that that's something everybody you should watch watch that. Rupert Sheldrake video. I will have it um, in the notes to this. Um, I'll have how you can get to it so that you can see it, but it's quite amazing. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just am so excited about your book and the fact that you're doing this kind of close analysis of what they've been getting away with for far too long. Talk about the amazing Randy. People have heard about this million dollar, you know, search for a psychic and it never, they never, he never found a psychic who was real. So therefore he, according to these folks, he, he proved there, there's no such thing as psychic abilities. Talk about that. I'd be happy to. So he's basically James Randi is a uh, is a magician. Um, he he had a challenge for several years. It's been discontinued now. Uh, it was called the James Randi Educational Foundation Million Dollar Paranormal Challenge. Um, so that thing was the pinnacle of skeptical nonsense. Right. It was. Yeah, so I did a great deal of research on that challenge. So um, when I call it skeptical nonsense, I I do have quite a bit of proof of that. Uh, One of the things about the challenge is it's meaningless. Having a challenge uh, for whatever random psychic comes up uh, and gets tested doesn't really say anything about about psychics at large. doesn't say whether the rest of them are any, any good. It only says that this particular psychic in this particular situation failed this particular test. That's all it means, and that that's all it'll ever mean because it's uh, it's it's not really a broader experiment. There's no replications. There wasn't even documentation. Yeah, Lord. So, uh, and and if you have a skeptic who brings up the challenge, it means that their internet uh, search skills are pretty deficient because finding controversy is like on the first page of the internet search. 
right. you search out the million dollar challenge, you can find the controversy on the first page, which means the skeptics haven't even read that. No. Oh, gee. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's been broadly known in the in the community in which I've been moving that um you that if he thinks you might be able to win it, um he doesn't really have the money and he he makes sure you don't get to take the test. He would only test a few people and make it so impossible to pass his test and he was the only judge. You had to basically convince him of something that his whole life was based upon disproving. There's, there, it was nobody who was a really good psychic would bother with him. And then the Victor and Wendy Zamet, and we all know who they are. They're wonderful, wonderful people who wrote um, the, the definitive book on afterlife evidence. They posted their own money in a real challenge to uh, uh, anyone who could disprove all the evidence that they gave in their book. If you could prove every bit, every bit of this evidence is wrong, you got a million dollars. And it was a real challenge. And a lot of people sort of approached them. And when they found out what was involved, nobody, nobody tried for it. That's also gone. But yeah, the, the trouble with the Randy thing was that he really, it was not really a challenge. It was just a way for him to get attention uh, when he really wasn't doing anything of value to anyone or for anyone. Well, the, the thing about the thing about his challenge was um, Randy could mess with what the effect size that he expected from the psychic. And, right. And he could tweak that effect size to something that they could not do. And since we really don't, since most people don't know what effect size to look for in psychic ability, uh, they don't really know whether, uh, you know, whether a challenge is fair or not. So the example that I give here is imagine if you knew nothing about basketball, but you had a test of ability. You had to shoot a basket three times in a row to win from half court. So you can make the argument, well, if you know how to shoot a basket, this should be easy, right? And right. No, nobody would know enough to dispute that. And then if somebody complains that the challenge is too hard, well, that's a whiner for you. Oh, gee. <laughs> but, yeah, but in fact, you know, shooting a basketball from midcourt has uh, the odds of about 100 to 1. So if you made it three times in a row, you'd be you'd have one one shot in a million of making that. Oh, really? Wow. OK. Yeah. It's theoretically possible, but it's practically impossible. And that's the kind of stuff that Randy pulled with his challenges. But fortunately, that's all out of the way. Um, I, I think because it, he, he got so much negative publicity, he was no longer getting what he wanted. But this is a real science. I think we need to stress that. It has a, it's called the Parapsychological Association. It's a member of the uh, American Association for the Advancement of Science. It publishes a peer-reviewed scientific journal called the Journal of Parapsychology. This is a real science that you are reporting on and talking to us about, right? Absolutely, yeah. It, it not only meets the criteria of ordinary science, but in many ways, uh, parapsychology is way ahead of the game. Uh, this is, to me, this is the really fascinating stuff. Because you have to understand, psychic ability is really hard to test for. And they have had all kinds of weird issues come up that might be affecting other sciences. But in parapsychology, these problems tend to stand out. Uh, I'll give you one example. is uh, in, a, in a test of uh, cancer in mice where they're doing healing work, 
they discovered that they had to take the control mice who were getting no, no treatment at all to another city to make sure that they didn't fall under the umbrella of healing and accidentally get healed. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. Because, oh, because the healing was, was like almost in the air. It was an energy that was being given off. Um, and it was healing the, te the test subjects, but the controls would also be healed by the penumbra of it, sort of, or the, the um, is that what you're saying? That was the problem? Yeah, according to uh, a book I read um, by William Bankston, um, the, somebody would go in, somebody who had been doing healing work on a different day or something would check in on these uh, mice that were, that, that were the controls, and... 30% of them would suddenly start getting healed. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Wow. 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 Talk about great healing abilities. That's wonderful. So they had to move them to another city. Uh, in another experiment with uh, slices of cucumber, which was done in Japan, uh, they had to do the, they had to have controls in a different space and on a different day so that there would be no bleed over uh, from the psychic healing that they were doing to examine physiological to examine physical changes in the cucumbers that they were doing healing work on. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So they, and, and then you have stuff like the experimenter effect, which is that you can have all of the things be equal, but, but if you have people with two different mindsets uh, conducting an experiment, you, you'll, you, you'll have different results. If everything else is equal. Wow. Yeah. This is so amazing. But um, this is a real science, and it is really there. There is a tremendous body of of successful um, uh, exp experimental data in so many different areas. Um, you you list four of them in your book, and and um, would, can you talk about those a little bit? I I was fascinated by this because I didn't realize the extent to which. These these psi uh, abilities had been studied in a very d disciplined way. Um, yeah, the the, the, the Gansfield experiment. Um, yeah, the Gansfield experiments. Those are telepathy experiments. They'll have um, they'll have people in different rooms. Uh, obviously, everything is uh, electromagnetically shielded. Faraday cages, the whole nine yards. Yeah, right, um, right, and. They'll uh, they'll have a a sender, which is the person busy who's busy projecting the uh, the image, and then they'll have the receiver, and they will be put in a state of uh, relaxation and non physical input. So they if they open their eyes, uh, they'll they'll see the insides of a ping pong ball. Um, they, they have white noise piped into their ears so that they really. They have no physical input to interfere, and then based upon that, they do the they do the experiment of receiving. And uh, the the sender has four choices to make has four different things to choose from. So this is called the forced choice experiment. Uh -huh. So so chance would be twenty five percent. And uh, so when the receiver sees the four different pictures and has to pick one. They have a one in four chance of getting this strictly by chance. In the experiments, they achieve results of about 33, 32%. Uh, so there's clearly telepathy going on. There, wow. 
You know, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. These don't have to be even people who are all that psychic. This this for example, another one is called the staring studies. And this was Rupert Sheldrake. You know, you all have we all have the sense that someone's looking at us. We look up and someone is looking at us. Well, this is just tests whether people um, uh, can tell that someone's staring at them from behind. And that also works. People have found that that's that. That is, in fact, a real effect. Yeah, I don't have the actual data in front of me for that one. Uh, but yes, uh, getting the effect of being stared at is a real one. And yes. when they do experiments, again, they're beating chance. Uh, they're, experiments with psychic ability never really achieve impressive results. There's, there's rarely anything like, oh, wow, that was amazing. It's, yes. it's incremental stuff that, that you discover through the use of statistics. Yes, yes. Um, um, random number generators, too. Can people influence a random number generator? And, I, I mean, we can. We don't know the extent to which our minds are just doing this stuff. For example, one year after 9-11, the, the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center, the, the, the some um, – uh, uh, a lottery that is commonly done in New York came up and the numbers were 911. The odds against chance for that are phenomenal. But everybody was thinking 911 and sure enough that was the that was the lottery number. I can't get over that. Yeah, synchronicity can be some amazing stuff. And what what the fourth of these studies is the presentiment studies. This is about uh predicting future events, right? Yeah, they call it presentiment. Uh, it's it's precognition, but it's a subcon. What they're testing for is subconscious precognition. Um, the the this that particular study is um, a, a real uh, eye opener with skepticism uh, because the reaction to it was actually more fascinating than the study itself. Really? Yeah. Well, talk about that. So the the study itself was an ordinary psychology study. Where they took, uh, where people, where, what well, college students, right? Because college students are the only people that are ever tested. Yes. Um, so they would they would be seated in the normal study. They would see a picture, and their reaction would be recorded with various um, uh, sensors that they had attached to them. What what Daryl Bem did in his study was he measured the result. He he measured their reactions before they actually saw the picture uh, oh. to see whether there was a, a subconscious reaction before something actually happened. Yeah. So the important part about that was that the study design was already well established in psychology. So there was no nitpicking about the study design. It was really quite ordinary. Uh, and as a result of this, uh, Daryl Bem was also a very distinguished professor. He'd written, he's written quite a few books. He's, he's well-versed in statistics and, stu- and, and these things. Um, and he's, he's, he's a name in psychology. So he got this study published in a very prestigious journal. And the skeptics absolutely went nuts <clears throat> because, this, uh, because his study had been uh, published uh, in in one of the one of the most uh, prestigious journals around. Oh, gee. So good, so for, now, good for them. Yeah. So now you had this study that had gotten published there, and then you had a couple of uh, actually three skeptics put together uh, replications 
you can guess how that turned out, right? So they they had they 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 said, well, we we did these three studies and they uh, we failed to replicate this experiment. So naturally, that that got published. You know, oh, they failed. You know, oh, the experiment failed to replicate. Yada yada yada. Well, that was only a couple years after the original experiment, and Daryl Bem was still collecting data from different people who were doing the experiment. And by the time he was done, he had ninety replications, way outstripped whatever these guys had done, and conclusively proved by any sane scientific measure that this this form of precognition was real. Yes, I've read about it. I, I it is real. Uh, there's there um it's some of this I was new to me from your book, but that was one that I had read about myself. Wow, this is this. But wait, you you talk a bit about the future, and you seem to be more cheerful about the possibility that we are softening the this stonewalling that science has been done in part because of the internet. The internet. You know, the, the TED and Wikipedia we know is complete nonsense. Um, so those are negative aspects of the Internet. But you seem to think that just the fact that people can do their own research and find their own information is helpful as when we think about the future of, of knowledge. Wait, what are your thoughts on that? My take on it is that uh, the Internet has definitely changed the game. Now, yes. Both of us are old enough to remember what it was like in pre-internet days. And the the basic thing that you have to recognize about that period is that the gatekeepers were very much in charge at that point. Oh, yes. Very good point. So all the knowledge was funneling through a very select group of gatekeepers who were busy uh, promoting this atheist materialist viewpoint. And other information simply didn't get past them. Now, if you go on the Internet and you spend any time researching, you're going to stumble on across the uh, the uh, the encyclopedia put out by the Society for Psychical Research, the Science Encyclopedia, which is a vast collection of all kinds of stuff related to the science of of psychic ability. And this encyclopedia is has a ton of entries at this point and it lists all this different stuff so you can now find that do you have the, the the site for that or maybe you can email it to me and we'll put it in the notes so people can find that encyclopedia uh, i'll be happy to email it to you if you type Great. in psi and then encyclopedia that will be the first in the search results okay great so for anybody that that's listening but doesn't have time to to check back later that's how you do that Okay, so all right, but we, that will be in the notes, everyone, so that you'll be able to go there. We, we've all said that was needed, and you're telling me now there's a pretty good one, so that's great. That's great to hear. That's very good to hear. Yeah. What, what do you want people to take away from our conversation today? The the thing that I want to, people to take away from the conversation is to not be intimidated by skeptics. They don't know very much. No, in they fact, don't. That's true. They seem to have an aversion to actually learning about the subject. And when you press yeah. them for information, they'll quickly try to turn it back on you. Yep, that's right. If somebody is demanding evidence, it's an indication that they're too lazy to look for themselves. Yep, uh, <laughs> that's true. 
that's true in all of these fields. I mean, it's very much true when it comes to life after death as well. And it's true when it comes to the nature of reality and the fact that it is fundamentally consciousness, all of that. You know, when you push them, you find out that they don't know very much and they'll, they'll be very aggressive and insulting. Yep. Um, and these are indi- if you if you get that insulting uh, and aggressive behavior, it's an indication that they're they're dealing with something on an emotional level that has nothing to do with the actual science itself. And you right. can safely ignore them. And that's the proper course of action for most people is to just ignore them. So you think that what we're going to have is like a, a, a preference cascade. Some January, nobody will know much about this, but all these people have for the past several years been studying it independently because they've come across it just as you did, just as you know people do. And by the end of the year, suddenly everybody is going to be realizing it's real. And um, there's, there's, a, there's a whole science behind that. When you have a certain – there's a critical uh, place you pass, and suddenly everybody knows something which nobody knew before. You think it's going to happen like that? Um, I do. I think it will start when uh, you have, for example, uh, journalists and periodical people who know that there's evidence – uh, yes, it's becoming increasingly difficult to say that there is no evidence. Yes, that's true. Um, and we are we are so overwhelmed with these with zealotry that it's getting hard to ignore zealotry in this particular field because, you know, no, you never hear a skeptic say, you know, there's some evidence. It's it's you know, I, I, I think I might be convinced in the future there's. There's yeah. something going on here. You don't hear that ambiguity from them. Uh, they, they, they're very black and white, and that's a tip-off that something is wrong. Uh, and I think journalists uh, and, and people just generally in the media are going to at some point realize, hey, we, we, can't, we can't just parrot these guys who are the skeptics all the time because they're, when we fact-check them, they don't hold up. They don't. That's right. There's nothing there. Yeah. Oh, well, I, your your book is wonderful. I'm so sorry we've come to the end of our time, but maybe we can do this again. Um, I think it's very ex- important, everyone, that we pay attention now to what's happening. Just in the in the decade since the fun of dying came out, I have watched such a change occur. And and since your book came out in 2013, this is a new edition just out. Um, since that since that book came out, Psy Wars came out. Then um, it is there's been such a change. It, we really are going in the direction that you talk about, Craig. It's very exciting. So um, thank you so much for being with us today, and um, we're we're for sure gonna gonna try to get people to read your book. Very very good job. Thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure. Everyone, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, and I'm very glad you could be with us today. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you really get what that means, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be Dr. Kalem Kenja. Caleb is a theologian. He's very, very uh, uh, credentialed. He's a longtime Christian minister and bishop who has studied the spiritualities that were prevalent in the on the African continent before the slave trade brought this tragic diaspora out of Africa into the West. So we're to introduce his discoveries to what he calls people of color, but frankly, I think they're interesting to everybody. I mean, we all have some color or other, even if it's a pale one. 
but he's interested in particular to to reintroducing people to what was their long ago heritage and he wrote journey to spiritual freedom liberation from the hidden change of european christianity i find his book really interesting and his work in freeing people from religious fears seems to resonate with what we are doing here which is why i've invited him to speak with us i think you're going to enjoy this really bright and learned man and his ardent work for spiritual freedom for everyone. Please join us next week. And of course, this week we've been talking with Craig Weiler, who is here to talk about another great White Crow book called Psy Wars. White Crow is a wonderful British publisher run by our great friend John Beecher. And Craig Weiler is a parapsychologist, journalist, and speaker who by day runs a successful business, but he has an abiding interest in what he calls, and he's right, the most controversial question of all time. It's the same question we wrestle with here every week. Just what is the nature of reality? His book is wonderful. It came out in 2013, updated in 2020, called Psy Wars, TED, Wikipedia, and the Battle for the Internet. I read it in an afternoon. I found it very enjoyable. Craig demonstrates how science, which we like to think of as, you know, an arbiter of truth at some level, is constantly being manipulated and propagandized in an effort to uphold prejudices and beliefs in the scientific community. The reissue of this terrific book is happening just as the battle to make sense of reality really is heating up. So this is the right time for us to look more deeply at the kind of work that Craig has done. Very good job and very good book. I urge you to uh, look into Psy Wars. As you know, my nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught will be out this year. And actually next year, probably now. Um, it's, been, it's been ready for a couple of years, but my guide wouldn't let it come out until we were doing our whole, as you will see, we are about to announce some amazing things that are going to happen for Seek Reality that will allow us to bring all of this work to a much, much larger audience. But you can order all these books through bookstores. You can get them on Amazon.com, and the adult books are also available as audiobooks. If you want to talk about any of my books, or if you want to talk about today, about anything at all, just please contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I answer every email. It can take a few days, so please be patient. But if you give me your right email address, I will answer you. Meanwhile, everybody, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy, please make the most of this wonderful week in our one reality. And please enjoy everything in your life knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being. And you, most of all in the whole universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.